Hey everybody, what's going on? This is episode two of Are We Live? Podcast hosted by me, Patrick Conley, in my 1955 canned ham here on the streets of Portland, Oregon. Episode two features a guest by the name of Danny Stevens. He is an artist and a new father. Uh, in this episode, we barely scratch the surface of, of what we kind of talk about on a almost daily basis. And in the future, I'm sure you're going to hear more of our conversations as this podcast progresses down the line. Um, but yeah, we had a great conversation. lasted about an hour. Uh, kind of midway through, you'll hear a little break. Uh, we had some technical difficulties. My computer went through some updates and shut down, and so we had to pause recording for a minute. But we got it back up and uh, finished up strong. So it was a lot of fun to kind of sit down have a conversation for uh, the first time and record it. So yeah, without further ado, this is episode two of Are We Live? Welcome, Danny Stevens. Five, four, three, two, one. Are we live? Are we live? We're live. Are we live? Kind of. Not really. Somewhat. Yeah. Somebody. It's not us. <laughs> No, hopefully eventually we'll be live. It'd be sick. Yeah, that's going to be cool. It's not a beer. <laughs> LaCroix. So he says. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. It's going to take some getting used to. No, it won't take long. No. Uh, man. What, um, you're teaching some kids yesterday, huh? Yeah. Yeah, I've been teaching the same two kids, brother and sister, for like almost two years now, once a week. <laughs> I've been... Uh, the constant students, mm-hmm. you know, the, there's been others, but they've been the ones I've just like worked with solely. Yeah. Almost gotten to know them pretty well then. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's for cool. sure. Know their strengths and weaknesses and talents and yeah. how smart they actually are and how much they actually teach me. Yeah. You know? well, that's yeah. a great thing about being a teacher, man, is even and a parent like you are now. I'm sure Claire is already teaching you things. <laughs> um, yeah. That's great. Unlike I've never thought. For sure. Yeah. yeah. It's a give and take. Yeah. That's cool. You said yesterday, we were talking in the kitchen yesterday. Uh, you ran into somebody before. Did yeah. You before. Yeah. My, my lesson got pushed back 30 minutes. And um, I was really working with uh, mantras and affirmations in my head throughout, trying to be really mindful on the drive there. And yeah. uh, it felt odd that they were running late. So I thought it time to run an errand. So I went where I was going to go. And the guy just jumped into how important art was and how important it is that everybody like con- uh, contributes to their art uh. like, to the world and how we're taking that out of schools right now and taking that out of society in general. He linked it to humanity and how like the more we do that, the more we lose humanity and that might be what we're witnessing right now mm-hmm. in the world and uh, how we're grasping at humanity right now. Yeah. And art is something that we need. And for people to yeah. do what they what they want to do, huh. you know, as a means of keeping humanity on our side. Right. Well, yeah, too. And like, I didn't think about it last night, but the first thing to go in schools whenever funding drops is art programs. Absolutely. Which is interesting. Well, I get that from like a rational perspective. You, know, you mm-hmm. think like productivity and stuff. You think math and science mm-hmm. and history. You know, is like exactly what you need. But I don't think we're valuing like the creative side of these kids yeah well even in history and in math and in in writing and like those subjects too like there's no creativity in that it's all like regurgitate this regurgitate that so Mm -hmm. even within the even outside of the art program art is still a thing but it's being you know i saw a meme one time it was like a teacher cutting kids thought bubbles they were circular and the (laughs) teacher was going around and cutting them into squares you know so that kind of idea doesn't have to be an art class no anything yeah and and anything and i think that's what's important about arts integration too is that you have an art teacher at a school but like a really good art teacher knows how to integrate and i really think there should be just a specific arts integrator at every school Mm -hmm. and like if you the kid is learning something about the civil war you know the arts integrator comes in and does a project Uh. that is based around so like you use different parts of your brain when you're being Uh creative and like you retain information a lot differently Yeah, and then some kids learn differently. You know, some kids learn, like, the two students I have, one is really good illustrator and very smart in, like, physics and, like, really wants to 
at 13 years old and ponders the <laughs> infinite possibilities of realities and black holes <laughs> and like tells me that he'll never believe this and that and like it's just it's pretty wild within his um his sibling is just so the opposite very tactile uh, like can really work uh just really well with her hands yeah yeah, yeah. and I, I think that we lose that and even in art classes like we only we have still life so we're drawing from pictures and stuff you know and then we're not like dealing with all the different styles of learning huh. that are out there yeah and i think the arts integration would be a way to like get in and really help the kids along yeah that would be their them. art class right like they, they wouldn't go to art class it would just be the integrator sitting in class and then going and like seeking out an opportunity of civil war so then you would put you know projects uh, about the civil war I guess you would go to class later, maybe, and do it, but maybe um, it would all be linked to what the other kids were learning in other subjects. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's exactly. Cool. Huh. And like working that. with the units, like overall units, and then a teacher can come to the integrator and say, hey, I'm, I'm, "My kids are struggling with chemistry right now, uh -huh. or something," you know, and then they, they do some art project that's involved with osmosis, or you know, I know that's not necessarily chemistry, but yeah, yeah. something <laughs> that like can help integrate that particular lesson huh, and like then they that. they can be mobile too they can go from class to class yeah. and it's completely separate from the art teacher uh, oh, they okay. still work together uh -huh. but the art teacher has their own uh, issues okay. and stuff to work uh -huh. with and their own uh it's important what mm -hmm. they're doing yeah absolutely but to have something completely separate instead of cutting art classes bring on extra mm. artists to help with these kids because then they then they can understand science and math and history yeah. better. Is there anything like that going on? Do you know not in that like I've, the Montessori schools and that kind of thing? Not, not that I've heard of. I know arts integration is definitely a thing. Yeah. I mean like a lot of research has come out about it and I learned a lot about it at University of Utah. And yeah. They, I just, I don't know of anything that is specific arts integrator but I haven't done much. Yeah, much research. Like extra research. That's no. a cool idea like that. Yeah, I think it's important too. I mean, I think that getting out of the curriculum kind of allows the art teacher to have a little bit more freedom in what they yeah. say too. And that's Absolutely. what I like about teaching like the private lessons that I'm not limited to the the national course standard. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't know. think that's good for anybody teaching anything. No, no. I mean, to have like a national guideline is, I mean, that goes back to centralizing everything. It's just like hard to to manage. You know, however many kids are in school through this one system, and then it and then it debilitates creativity on a personal level. So someone who goes in and wants to be a history teacher can't t teach what they're passionate about, no. which just completely kills the the teaching. Because I don't want to learn from someone who isn't passionate about what they're teaching, because then it's just boring. Exactly. And I've been on, I've seen both, and mm -hmm. what I retained was the people who. Even if I did, wasn't interested in the subject, if they were interested in in presenting it, I was able to retain it. Because simply that they put it in a way that they they loved it. Yeah, and you and, respect the teacher that way. And I think if you build that relationship with the teacher, like it really makes you just out of respect for them want to learn the information yeah. instead of just regurgitating what you've been kind of you've been cramming all semester. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I hated that in school, having to regurgitate. Like I had I had business classes, and the whole class would be like memorizing definitions. <laughs> I'm like, this is silly. Like, what? I mean, I understand that I should like learn what certain terms are so I can understand the material better. But it was like I had a whole test and it was just regurgitating the definition. I don't remember the definition of hardly anything that I studied. So there was no like, yeah, it's just really, really strange. I had law classes like that where it was just simply like, for an hour and a half, the professor would go through and basically regurgitate definitions that we would have to write down and then the whole test was 30 questions and they were they were you know multiple choice and fill in the blank and write out the answer and all that kind of stuff but it, all, at the end of the day all it was was just definitions there was no like integration of the law into situations which would have been able to easier to retain that way and but, you're a better <clears throat> lawyer yeah it was law and i think yeah. that's a part of the danger in it is it's one thing if you're not like teaching the correct history of a civil war, right? Because it doesn't make your state look very yeah. good. But it's, it's another thing when we, like we talked last night about doctors and their residencies and med school and how it's like opening, putting a fire hose mm -hmm. in your mouth and just releasing it, trying to retain all the information. Mm -hmm. And um, that's dangerous. Yeah. Because now we have doctors out there and lawyers yeah, out there. Who are human lives. Human lives. And people ended up in prison for years, maybe when they didn't need to be, because yeah. you spent all your law school regurgitating information instead of, like uh, figuring out how that stuff applies to your particular passions and defending yeah. or 
activism or you know whatever the case might be whatever it is yeah yeah well i think too with the introduction of so much technology and and media and the way that you're able to consume information and the way that's changing so rapidly that schools are going to change rapidly i mean the integration mm -hmm. of it you know you, you don't even have to go to a physical building and i can sit here and learn anything i might i may well please mm -hmm. now where it becomes tricky is that piece of paper like if it's it's the like the achievement of having that document saying i did this at this place so now i'm able to take that piece of paper and bring it to this job and say look this is what i did whereas if i sat here and read for a year and a half about the study of physics and then tried to go get a job in physics it wouldn't work no. because i don't have things saying so like how is that like i know online schools are starting to tap into that but even then i mean that can that still draws into the whole university thing and all the politics of universities and i, I don't know where that takes us but certainly people are getting smarter <laughs> I think we're building a world around it. Yeah. Like, you know, build, like building industries where you don't necessarily need it. And like, because that paper is already uh -huh. becoming worthless. Uh -huh. And like when I worked in Park City at a restaurant, like all the people I worked with were, you know, like molecular biologist <laughs> majors. They had their masters. And like this one Ooh. girl went to Antarctica uh, in the off season to study penguins or something. And like yeah. just these really, really smart people who just like, there's, there's no need for what they're doing or, they make more money working in the restaurants at a ski town and mm -hmm. their degree hasn't done much for them other than give them a lot of debt. Yeah. You know, we've, you know, both have student loans yeah. and you know, people with mm -hmm. crippling amounts of student loans yeah. and stuff. And eventually yeah. it's going to be worthless anyways. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I mean, and that's not to say I didn't learn anything in college. I learned boatloads. Um, and I apply it to my life, of course, but it's definitely not served me in the professional field. A crazy amount, you know. I've taken lessons from it and that, but if I were to do it again, I'd think I'd take the money. <laughs> it's probably your, you probably got more out of your one class, the perception professor. Yeah, sensation and perception. And you know that in general probably helps you more than yeah any of the professionally leaning stuff. Yeah, yeah, that class was definitely uh, eye-opening and awe-inspiring, kind of, and pointing me in the direction in which I headed unknowingly at the time i just found it fascinating you know that psychology course but um yeah, yeah. just say where it goes i don't know yeah i love my my school my time at the university yeah. of utah i didn't up until getting to the university of utah but it was just like the particular department and the, the art educators that came out of there yeah. like harvard trained and just wow. like really passionate about like social change and just uh passionate people and it was a state funded institution so it was okay, any every professor had to get involved had to be involved in whatever field they were teaching so oh, so whether so, through research right okay. but it was a research-based institution oh, that was okay, the correct yeah. term mm -hmm. yeah but so that means if i'm taking painting from someone they are an active selling artist mm -hmm. not just an art teacher mm -hmm. so i think there's just a little bit different of a an air around there compared to some universities that i've either visited or yeah. taken classes at. Now, you know? did you have a lot of, well, I mean, did you take other classes besides art at that university? Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, like, <laughs> did you have professors who were hardly ever there and, like, it was all student-taught? Like Not these so big, much. Okay, so Austin, my brother, went to the University of Tennessee, and he said that he'd have these classes that were, like, 300 people large, <laughs> and the professor hardly did any of the teaching. It was just it's a student-teacher. And they're out doing the research, like the professor's out doing the research. So they're basically getting, you're paying the professor to go do their research, not to not to teach you. And it's like, that's so weird. It's like these big, giant universities are almost, yeah, the prestige of the name is great, but that's like all you're getting at that point. You basically have to teach yourself. Austin taught himself a lot of these classes. <laughs> You'd have to go get tutors and extra stuff. And like, so bizarre. It is, because you're paying all that money to learn from basically learn from someone who is also learning how to learn yeah. how to teach uh -huh. essentially yeah that person's getting their teaching like <laughs> certifications and they're getting their experience teaching yeah and they haven't had any experience in the field probably very little if at all just their undergrad yeah, yeah just research their a few years older than you it's like what's going on it's well yeah but a few years older thing's a problem too because i think that like you're not in college to learn from somebody who's still figuring it out yeah exactly like you're just now getting your frontal cortex developed yeah. you're just now like these people have only been out of the house four years themselves. Mm -hmm. They haven't really, 
They've been in dorms. Yeah. Not, not, this is a blanket statement. Yeah, it's yeah, all TAs. Course, yeah. I enjoyed the TAs that were around the art department. They were great artists. Yeah, and they're important. They're, they're important. an important aspect. You know, right. They're, they're not the whole thing. The school talk costs way too much money to be learning from exactly. a, a TA. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah especially like, like maybe it was different in painting because you can't learn from like you need the professor to show their abilities and to do the demos and yeah. stuff like that. Like the professors were pretty much always there. Always there. Right. And yeah. the, the TAs were also in the same department taking mm -hmm. painting classes from the same professors. Mm -hmm. So they were more so like walking around the studio and helping you like, oh yeah, that medium's a little bit too thin. You need to mix with this color. Yeah, they're a true this assistant color. of the yeah, teacher. Yeah, 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 what it, yeah, it's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> they were the minutes. definition of their title. <laughs> oh, that's funny. But yeah, I love those professors and I definitely didn't realize how much of an impact they made until like I'm always referencing them mm -hmm. in my head. I'm always in mm -hmm. conversations talking about, oh, this one professor, mm -hmm. I'm sure you've heard me say this one professor said yeah. thousands of times mm -hmm. because I, it resonates with me and I don't, I don't even understand it until yeah. it like comes out in some yeah. life situation where I'm like, oh, man, I hated that he was saying that at the time. <laughs> and then that's why people get into teaching have those little nuggets of information pop up out of nowhere years down the road. Yeah, that's cool. And it's the ones that I really didn't necessarily uh, resonate with the most then. Yeah. That I get the most uh -huh. probably wisdom from now. Uh -huh. And the ones where I'm like, ah, damn it. <laughs> it's kind of like what your, right. your, your parents said long ago. The yeah. time you wanted to beat down the door. <laughs> so, I used to tell my parents all the time, when I'm a, when I'm a parent, I'm going to let my kids stay up real late or whatever it was that they were getting pissed off at me for. It's like, oh, I'm going to let them do that. And now I'm like getting older. I don't kids yet, but if I, if I did, I'm like, mm, no, I probably wouldn't. <laughs> I understand their perspective now. You know, Looking back on it, it's like, man, yeah, I was a shithead. Because then you'd be a shithead in the morning if you didn't like, exactly. cause you have to deal with you tomorrow. Claire stays up late because that's just what she's doing. Yeah. And there's no convincing otherwise at yeah. the moment. Yeah. that young there's just no way to explain something to you know there's just there's nothing to reference it to you know just yeah in this molding stage yeah and trying to like get the concept of like no across but without being <laughs> traumatic or yeah, yeah. without being abrasive uh -huh. or anything but just a just acknowledgement that that's something that you might should not do yeah it's really like stop her from exploring things like uh -huh. all kids are born scientists yeah of course they want to feel and play with and see what falls over and how far they can lean without falling over. And, but um, when it comes to the edge of a bed or like yeah, taking my glasses yeah. off of my face and she can poke herself in my eye or something, you know, holding a knife. Yeah. <laughs> God forbid. Yeah. Yeah. But that's a learning process. It's oh, like yeah. I, I thought all these thing things on. going into it and you hear this and you hear that from all these people that no one said exactly how it is like yeah. the way i'm experiencing it at least yeah. like no one explains <laughs> it that way yeah it's like you read all the parenting books that you want but you probably can't prepare you for the real thing no no because then it's the it's, it's, it's such a trip yeah to watch her like figure things out and then wonder I, i'm relearning through her uh. and i don't mean like learning how to like open things i mean like learning about the world around me and the perception that she must be like wondering how she's seeing things and mm -hmm. how she had to figure out not only like what a wall is, but what a line and shadow and mm -hmm. light and form and like the Depth. things that make up a wall. Yeah. Like a wall, like how did she see a wall before a wall made sense? Right. You know, and that, that just, that's been the trippy part for yeah. me is like just like watching her figure that out, navigate and watching the little milestones, the gripping at things, the feeling the texture and, now she's trying to climb stuff. And yeah, she is. Eight months old. That's crazy. Yeah, last night after I showed her, it was cool. I had a cup in my hand. And it was, I drank all the water out of the cup, but she wanted some water. So she kept coming after it. And I was trying to show her that there was no water in there. That Like, you, like I know you want something to drink, and you're trying to get this cup in your mouth. But you can try all you want, but if nothing's going to happen. So I was, like, tipping it over and... And I put her hand inside of it to feel around, like, oh, there's nothing in there. And then she went away and came back later, and immediately she stuck her hand inside the cup. <laughs> so it was cool to watch it, like, connect, like, wait, maybe it's there this time. Like, I'm going to check for it. Yeah. Yeah, it was funny. Well, I think she did that because while you were in the bathroom earlier, she put her hand in your drink. <laughs> like, mm. she put her whole hand in there. 
So she had already figured when there was out water there in was there? something in there. Ah. So she was convinced. Like, yeah. No matter what you told her, like, <laughs> yeah, no, I've already, water in there. I've already checked that out. Oh, that's funny. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, she's a trip. But um, definitely, like, makes me think of the things that are important. Yeah. You know, it's definitely, like, completely reshaped what I'm doing, why I'm doing it. Mm. You know, the, it's probably slowed you down, too. It has in a very chaotic way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like so much chaos sometimes that the only way I can do it is by breathing. Mm. And then I'm breathing, mm. and it's fine. Mm. And then it doesn't matter how chaotic it yeah, all is. I'm forcing you into the moment. Yeah, yeah. And then it's all awesome. Yeah. You know, I'm like, I might be like tired and a poop on like, you. Definitely, it's poop <laughs> on me, and I'm trying. I'm trying to get out to the garden, yeah. like to water it and stuff. Because uh, I feel like we didn't slow down whenever she got mm. here. We kept, you know, garden and art and all that. It just, yeah. it just so another won. piece of the puzzle. Yeah, because I think that like a lot of parenting is like helicopter parenting, a lot of like child-centered parenting, mm. where everything stops and then everything is about the child. Mm -hmm. Although that's sweet. Like, I don't think it's realistic for development. I don't mm -hmm. think it, it's like a, a reasonable way to organize your yeah, time. Well, the development of both of you. Right, exactly. Let alone the kid, like yourself, too. You know, you've got to keep learning and growing and developing interests and pursuing them. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's important. I mean, now for some people, that is where it stops. You know, their whole their whole center of being is, is that, you know, producing that child. And um, But, yeah, to take a step back is definitely important. For yourself you get lost in it i'm sure oh yeah it's just like a relationship you can get lost in the other person and lose yourself and that can becomes dangerous because then it'll just tear you apart for sure you for know. sure and, and speaking of relationship it's, that's another part of it you know you're having a baby with somebody who you knew you had a relationship with just you and this person talking about chelsea you yeah. know and then you add this other very time sensitive needy fragile being although full of joy still very like you know um it's a lot to do with yeah. her right now yeah. you know so it adds like an extra element to that and it strengthens your relationship with them and mm -hmm. makes you see that person in a different light and you never saw them and yeah. like cause different tips but then you get through it way differently than you did before yeah and you, you know grow from that yeah and, and much more exponentially mm. than before i think it's like the ebb and the flows are different and they're always geared towards the end result yeah. which is like contentment within our family unit mm -hmm. and like contentment the things that we want to do with our life and mm -hmm. making sure that Clara is being exposed to a life that we enjoy too and not so much getting caught up in what pays the bills the most or what you know does right. this or that but like what she can have fun yeah. watching yeah. you know and have faith that those bills will get paid and have yeah. faith that everything will be okay and then, and then faith comes into the, 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 the conversation and not the conversation, but maybe the, uh, the, uh, what am I trying to say? Equation. Mm, that's what yeah, I was trying the to learning say. process. Yeah, yeah, the faith of everything, the faith in your relationship. The faith in what? Yeah. And she yeah. starts wondering, like, what faith, like, uh -huh. why do we have this hope? Like, what, what are we having this hope in? Uh -huh. And why are we hoping so hard? And who's on the other side of the hope? And, <laughs> you know, who's responsible for saying, I don't know, it's just like a, it's a different layer. Yeah. You know, and I, I really think for, you know, I've thought about faith a lot like in the last like year, wondering what that is and the misinterpretation that we've had for that word. And mm -hmm. um, we use it to cloak over ignorance. Mm. And we go, oh, that's just, we need to have faith in that. But I think faith is having so much knowledge and so much <laughs> faith, yeah. you know, in, in something else in the system that is underneath all of us that it will work out. Mm -hmm. You know, and like that knowledge is like a channeling a thought process mm. making your intention very acute mm -hmm. you know where like you, you can get the thing that you want you can manifest those things mm -hmm. and i think that you know as a kid we're like you can be anything you want when you grow up you know mm. that thing like that idea whatever that's a cliche mm -hmm. but like whatever it is underneath that is like no like for real think it and you will be it mm -hmm. or, you know it's like a and that's challenging just like how do you teach being in the moment and how do you teach manifestation to a little being yeah. who is just living it already yeah yeah exactly well yeah. you have to try to make sure they don't forget it right you know and constantly remind them and i mean of course there's going to be limitations to what you what you want to be in one sense yeah we can be anything we want to be but in another sense what you want to be might not be 
what you're supposed to be. Mm. So I thought I wanted to be a soccer player all my life. That's all I ever wanted. That's all I ever wanted. Well, the day came where I realized that I probably couldn't. And so I had to understand how to let that go and try to open up to the possibility of something else. What am I supposed to be? Who am I supposed to be? Why am I supposed to pursue it? So the whole idea of like, you know, you can be whatever you want to be. I think that's, you can, but it's, it's, it's limiting in the way that you think about it. Um, yeah, as long as you're open to change. Yeah, yeah, you got to be open to change about it, for sure. With you with soccer, like, I feel like it's really similar with football, and like the, the culture is wrapped up so much in it, and that you, you identified as a soccer player for mm-hmm. so long. Yeah. And probably got a lot of your friends that way, and a lot of your uh, your your feel good. Yeah, from, I, mean, I got from everything. The games. From it. You got everything. everything from it, like your yeah. upbringing. You said you used to sleep at that facility, right? That yeah, dad ran. I mean, I, sl- I didn't have a teddy bear, man. I had a soccer ball. Yeah. I sleep with a soccer ball on my pillow. Yeah. And I woke wake up and it would be there. And, you know, I'd dribble it around the sidewalk. And so it was like everything it was how I got my, you know, ups and my downs and how I learned so much. And that's where my friend group came from. And that's like what my social life was. And that's what we did on the weekends. It was traveling to a tournament. You know, that's all I ever knew and did. So it was my identity. And so that's what I wanted to be. It's all I ever wanted to be. And like I said, when that day came, when it wasn't a reality anymore, you know, I didn't want to, I had to, I had to realize that that maybe that wasn't what I wanted to be. You know, at that time it was, but it, it came a time where it was no longer. And so to like open up myself and try to figure out, okay, I'm going to, I can be anything I want, but what is it that I want to be? You know, and so that's, it's a very difficult, uh, it was a difficult realization, you know. Did that come all at once from an event injury or was that like a, a gradual like realization? No, it was a gradual realization. Over um, like your senior year? Or like well, your- probably after my, partway through my sophomore year, I probably, I was, you know, maybe maybe towards the end of my freshman year, I realized, oh, maybe it's, this isn't it, you know, and I knew that, you know, I had a few more years left, and so that realization became more real and more real and more real, you know, it's just, you kind of block it out because you're still playing, mm-hmm. so you're like, you still are a soccer player, but you know that there's like, kind of like this end date, and when the end date came, it was just a flood of emotion. You know, it was like, holy shit, it's real. Like, I'm not doing this anymore. Something I've done for 18 years of my life is no longer. You know, I can still go play, but it, it, it's not the same as strapping up your boots day in and day out and training for a match and you got your mates around you and, you, you, you know, you're pursuing this thing together. You know, I can go play on the park on Sunday or even playing in a league. You can get a glimpse of it, but there's nothing like, you know, that, that level of competition you know, can't be reached unless you continue in the program of, you know, trying to move up a level or whatever it is, you know. So it's just, yeah, it was a slow graduation, graduate, gradual build towards it. And then, you know, when it ended, it, it really hit me. And for years, I dealt with it. You know, I've really, in the past few years, have come to terms, well, probably a year or two after I graduated, because I did a lot of traveling and I loved that. And so that was, I was able to gear that towards towards that um so i kind of found myself again in a new light like as okay now i identify myself as a world traveler and that's who i am you know and i still want to do that and i still want to be that world traveler and um but i've had to kind of let that go too now and open up to the possibility of something different you know and still travel but in a different way but also this podcast like maybe i'm a podcaster and right now i am because that's what we're doing Mm-hmm. You know, so like it's this continual thing of like letting go of an identity and then maybe like trying to pursue a different identity yeah. and then reach that new thing or whatever it is. You know, I think that's that's growth <laughs> at this point. You kind of figure out like who knows what the next thing is. Like we cut ties and rebuilt new visions over and over again. Yeah. Now it's like less yeah. of an attachment. Yeah. Do you think that soccer also gave you your um, fascination? traveling like the wanderlust yeah they being such a multicultural sport and exposure to you i mean it sent you places early on mm-hmm. yeah yeah absolutely i think that's definitely a big thing you know i went to went to england the first time i went out of the country to play was in england when i was 14 so yeah and i always followed the english premier league and then you know i started opening up to the spanish league and of course the world cup you're learning about 
you know, just even the names of people are different than the ones that you hear in America. Like Luis Suarez, like that's mm -hmm. such a, you know, a, 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 a Hispanic name. And, um, yeah, so that's definitely a part of it. Not only just the, the bigger global game of it, but even just traveling as a kid, you know, in West Virginia. So in most states to go play like against really good teams week in and week out, you just went down to the park and played in your league. And there were, you know, six to 12 teams in the league who would come from two hours away to play on Saturdays, and then you'd go home. Well, in West Virginia, there were two good teams in the state. <laughs> so you don't play a league in West Virginia. You'd just be playing the same team over and over again. Yeah. So we'd have to travel to a different state every single weekend. Wow. Every weekend we were gone just about, you know, Greensboro, North Carolina, all the way up to Maine, down to Florida, out to Virginia, to North Carolina, to... I mean, I played all up and down the East Coast, just about every state on the Eastern Seaboard, probably. Wow. Yeah. So just that, and you know, you, Friday comes and you wear your jumper to to, to school, and you're stoked because you're going to get out of class. You know, you're going to get out of school an hour early because you got to get down to Greensboro, North Carolina, to get ready for the tournament. And it was just a whole culture built behind it, man. This is nice so much fun. It's early on too, like even uh, earlier. Twelve, wow. to, twelve to eighteen, travel wow. soccer. That's kind of how like baseball was in Mississippi. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's very a good travel based. Yeah, yeah. It's a great comparison. A lot of people do compare it to that. And you know, you probably got like your sense of humor, your like your musical taste, like all mm -hmm. kinds of stuff from your soccer times. Mm -hmm. I mean, the chanting, and that's one thing I've always been fascinated mm -hmm. with your stories about soccer is that I mean, Mississippi State had like one battle cry, maybe some few more, and yeah. you know, what I mean, like it, football, they all everybody uses the same things yeah, it's all yeah, the ESPN yeah. and then you just change stuff. the word to the tune or whatever yeah yeah but soccer having like each soccer team having their own like book of folk tunes essentially yeah. that are yeah, historical for yeah. their uh -huh. for their town and yeah it's and wild I like that <laughs> book of folk tunes yeah, it yeah and they like go back years yeah that's a good way to put it especially you know in the England and I mean in, in what's interesting is each country and each league has their way of doing it which is really cool so like England is very, uh, you know, sing-songy. They, like, take songs and then change the words to songs and then will chant that. Like, uh, they do country... Manchester United does a version of Country Roads, but they implement their, like, um, their town and their road and, like, into the words, and then they chant that, and um, which is cool. And then you go into the Mexico and South America and all that kind of stuff, and it's very, like, you know, the drums come in and the horns and the, the sambas and like you just like different instruments come in. And it's really, it's really cool. That's why I think that there's such a draw to that game, you know, especially now that, you know, globalization is taking over. And so, you know, to learn about Brazil is so easy, you know, and to understand that. And so like, you know, it opens it up to that conversation of cross-cultural connections, which is cool. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> I think soccer, like, I've never played. Yeah. But I really think soccer is the one sport that I would, like, try to shepherd a uh, kid into. Mm -hmm. Why is that? I, I don't I just Just the soccer players that I came in contact with, I just know that, in my experience, mm -hmm. and this is just limited to Mississippi athletics. Yeah. I didn't, I traveled a lot mm -hmm. with sports, but it was, like, just to play, like, a game and go back. And mm -hmm. there was never a lot of integration with the teams and... Mm -hmm camaraderie between teams hmm. that much but i just know that there was like certain personality traits that became the more popular ones in each individual sport i felt like soccer it was just much more of a cultured individual hmm. that would come out of that mm -hmm. like the people that i knew that played soccer were always the ones i played music with or mm -hmm. the people that uh they were you know the the soccer players that came and played football with us they were always the weird ones but they were the ones <laughs> i resonated with yeah. <laughs> uh -huh. and uh so yeah, I just think soccer would be the one. And yeah. Like just the, the healthy, like just the health aspect of it. I think that a lot of running and, um, I mean, on Fridays for football in high school, they had us boxes of Krispy Kreme donuts and McDonald's <laughs> sausage biscuits. That was our breakfast every game day. And we'd eat like <laughs> big buffets before travel games. And, Oof. you know, it was a pride of how much you could eat. Yeah. You know, and that's just, I feel like soccer is a little more geared towards efficiency. Yeah. And yeah, you're definitely not eating boxes of Krispy Kreme donuts. No. Maybe a case of beer, though. Maybe. <laughs> At least. <laughs> there was that, too. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's definitely the, the 
I mean, the culture thing, like you said, it, it being cultural, you know, I mean, I've been, since I was 12, maybe even younger, I've been hanging out with English guys and Welsh guys and people from other countries and, and you know, Mexican guys. And so you're, you're hanging out with all those people and you're around that all the time, hearing different languages and, and trying to communicate with them and learning from them, not only about the game, but about their culture. And, um, you know, I've played with English guys and uh, Irish guys and I played against Trinidad and Tobago guys and I mean, from all over the place, Brazilians and Mexicans and uh, I've probably named a few more, but so you probably got rid of any tribal mentality at a young age. Yeah, maybe, but but soccer is pretty tribal. Yeah, I imagine when you think of when yeah. it comes down to the, like he said the chanting and like you just look at the hooligans. You watch Green Street hooligans and oh, it's like yeah. super tribal. You know, it's just you know, fucking bash a guy's head in because he supports a different team. You know, I think that's slow. They're trying to push that out of the game. And they've done a good job of it. Um, and you don't see that as much over here in America. It's more of a deep-rooted thing in England because you know your great-great-great-grandfather played for them when they were a pub team. Yeah. And he was a, he, you know, he ran the pub and he happened to play for the team. Well, now that team is like this big glorified thing and everyone in the town on Saturday goes down to the pitch and like, you know, it's just so rooted and so old and multi-generational, you know, it's unbelievable. So it has this deep pride deep down within you. Um, the hooligan part, how did that, is that like a, an economic happening that these little gangs develop over like soccer teams and they use like how did that start i don't know how it started but economic i'm sure it has something to do with economics and um yeah i mean i know liverpool that's the team i support they're in the slums you know it's one of the best teams but you know they, that town is a slum yeah and other teams use that to rile them up you know, like Manchester United is not the slums. <laughs> you know, it's the theater of dreams. And so, um, yeah, they, they, they give the fans will give a lot of shit to the other fans from Liverpool about it being the slums. I can't remember the one chant, how it goes, but they talk about, it says that in the chant, it's like saying something about go get a job. <laughs> or something like that. They're like in the chant that they're chanting at the team and they're like yelling at the other supporters. And so like, it's a very tribal mentality. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, but the majority of the people at the end of the day, you know, wouldn't bash someone's head in for supporting another team. It's a small minority, but it's definitely there. And uh, college football. I feel like over here we have that issue and it's isolated incidents. Yeah. You know, like somebody wearing the wrong shirt in the wrong town and, Mm-hmm. somebody's had too much to drink and then it turns into mouthing and in the mouthing it's really what mm-hmm. causes a fight not mm-hmm. so much the the shirt they're wearing right you know? yeah yeah that's a good point like in, in Mississippi I mean yeah you're either Ole Miss or Mississippi State right <laughs> you don't really have a choice to be both mm. so in it, it, those so you go to the okay you go you get your ticket for the game you go to the stadium it's not like you could be you could be a Mississippi State fan in a Mississippi State jersey and you could be in the surrounded by Mississippi fans, right? Like, there's yeah. no so there's go, student section, and there's definitely like a, a side, some sort of a side, yeah. And it's way uh, those teams are just vastly different. Yeah, like Ole Miss and Mississippi State, like Ole Miss is a real, very Greek, very like uh, hmm. fraternities and sororities. Mm-hmm. Like I think they have like a high percentage. Okay. Yeah, not I misunderstood that. I was like, whoa, there's hold definitely on, definitely not wait, a high now, Greek population at Ole Miss. <laughs> there's like three demographics in Mississippi. Okay, but. Um, <laughs> But you know, a lot of fraternities and sororities, yeah. and those people wear suits to the football games. Uh, yeah, we're we're talking Tennessee, August yeah. in Mississippi, cool. where you know, hundred degrees, eighty percent humidity, and they're wearing suits. <laughs> and like that school was not the one I went to. My school brought cowbells to the games. And yeah, we're back. Had some technical difficulties there. My computer. Decided to update while we were in the middle of this. Well, didn't I actually made that decision a while ago? It just obeyed me an hour later, because that's what I told it to do: is to do restarts, or updates an hour later. So yeah, 
We had to wait for the update to happen, and here we are. Now we're here again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, we were just chatting before. What were you saying? I'm talking about astrology. Astrology and wondering if it's real. Not really believing that it's real, I guess. Yeah, it can be real to some. It's one of those things that maybe if you choose to believe it, then it becomes real. I think it's beautiful poetically. Yeah. Like a, lot yeah. Of, a lot of the stuff, like, you know, like, in, like, like we were saying, there could be some molecular effect or some something on your DNA that mm-hmm. star systems being in a certain alignment affect your code of DNA, your specific code based on when you were born, when, where the moon was when you were born. Like, that could be relevant on a, in a field of science that hasn't yet been. Yeah. Yeah. We like, just haven't labeled, been able yeah. to under, understand how to measure mm-hmm. it. And, has, have people done research on astrology? Um, like I mean, not, correlational research and stuff? I don't know. I mean, I have seen it play out yeah. a lot in my life yeah. with people. You know, I just noticed that it, it became an excuse for things. Uh, you know, and that's when I started having like a real problem with it. Like I was cool. I never like dove too far into mm-hmm. it. And um, like I said, I just think it's beautiful and poetic and. Yeah. allegory like a lot of the things mm. you know and I started noticing like oh well if, if I'm this certain sign that I should well, that's just why I act this way mm-hmm. you know when it was really affecting a lot of people and I was like well that's mm. a little odd yeah you know that kind I of I don't know like, if that's using it properly I don't think so either because there's just always like, like you know from what I've understood astro- astrology like it kind of gives you like this is the problem because this is happening but this is what you need to do about it interesting yeah like you don't just blame it because oh mercury's in retrograde so <laughs> that's why we're fighting and but if you just like give that an excuse to keep fighting or do you try to hash it out and maybe that is the fighting is like hashing it out or you know i don't i don't mm-hmm. know i don't know but whatever it is you're fighting about could have been building up for you know way before mercury being yeah in any type of like retrograde yeah might have just brought it out or not yeah i don't know i don't know <laughs> it's interesting I've uh, spent a lot of time in the last bit releasing all dogmas yeah like, you know everything that I that I thought that I believe about everything you know I like, really like diving into different stuff and seeing how they relate to other things and kind of looking at it like with a clear clear lens or something trying not to let like what you've learned in the past affect the way you look at this one thing right right almost like no lens at all yeah almost like yeah. just just trying to listen from a different place mm. you know and like uh Ooh, listen from a different place That's yeah, the way. yeah it, it just it just feels different like uh instead of like it's all going on in the head mm-hmm. you know and it's like a revolving i don't know just like curiosity after curiosity i'm not really sure how to like like hone that in sometimes mm-hmm. but in the pursuit of knowledge the trying to yeah the pursuit of knowledge but then like trying for it to be heart-centered mm. I feel like um, I, do believe, I do believe in intuition. I do believe that like you can feel things almost in a way that you remember them. Mm-hmm. Like it's like not like like you're not listening for the first time. Mm-hmm. Like you know, a deja vu feeling when you see someone. The first time I saw Chelsea, I like ah, no, I know her from mm-hmm. somewhere. It's almost like, and there was no way we could have known each other before that, right? You know, and I, I think stuff like that. There's something to that uh-huh. that you know, we call it magic now and stuff like that, but we just can't explain it. Like, yeah. we just don't have the science for it. You know, like, we, if if we are living, if reality is on a loop or something like that, I'm remembering things that are significant. That's what deja vu is, or that's what that spark, when I hear something, I'm like, ah, oh, that, that feels right. Mm. And that feeling right isn't, like, merit to write a paper on it. But, you know, it's like, I'm, that mean I'm an expert on anything, yeah. but it's just that, I feel something to be true. Right. Like I feel that in all these different modes of living through like Buddhism and like Christianity and, you know, like complete, like the, for people who are an atheist that like really dive into the Bible, like I'm fascinated with those Mm -hmm. people because they look at it from a complete scholarly perspective without any of the context of, like emotional context coming from it. Yeah. It's all from the head. Mm -hmm. So then you get a completely different perspective on it. Like, there's, like, nuggets of wisdom and truth in all of them. Mm -hmm. In all of them. And then at some point, all of them were used for control. You know, like, even astrology might have been used in some type of control in little, small Mm -hmm. 
saying they've all been used for control in the past, like the the, the major world religions. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it doesn't necessarily, and that doesn't make them like a bad thing. It's just that a bad person could have taken the reins on that faith or yeah. that thing and used it for evil. Absolutely, and they did. They yeah, did. And but, still you know, do. Yeah, absolutely. And I just there's. That's why, like, uh, I didn't want to, for a while, I was away from all of it. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I felt duped mm -hmm. growing up, believing certain things and not seeing certain things about it. And so I went way away from it. Mm. And now I'm like, there's, I felt like I was throwing out the baby with the bathwater, you yeah. know, not yeah. uh, realizing that, like, the pure message that was in Christianity, too. And that at some point, somebody realized they can use it to control people. Yeah. And there's evidence of that all the way down, mm -hmm. you know, and like the, from the printing press and the Bible being printed to be confusing. Yeah. Just because the printing press was allowing more people to have the Bible mm -hmm. so then they could read for themselves, these previously illiterate people, mm -hmm. that they were the pathway to God. Right. And they didn't have to go to the church and give all their money mm -hmm. to some guy. You to know. interpret it for them. Right. And then like when, King, that's why King James was printed. Yeah was to confuse people like the the bible before king james was not totally these thousand you know are those, is that still available like or has it been kind of destroyed i held like the reason i heard about this is i was in a book binding class at the university of utah and they took us into special collections where they had all these old books that were put together and all like the original bindings and stitches and the way of putting together everything and they said do you notice anything about this bible i was like it's really old to be so legible yeah. And that's when they told like, that story and showed us research on it. So that was a previous King James Bible? But yeah, pre-King James. Yeah. So it's it's there. It's like that text. I could probably look it up right you now. You can probably find it. I don't know the name of the version. Yeah. You know? Huh. But even that, even that stuff, yeah, like, was picked politically. The mm -hmm. stuff that was in that Bible, the stuff that was ever put into something. Right. Was, a lot of it was politically, you know, driven. Yeah. But but that being said, there's gems in all of it. Stuff yeah, that Christ was saying, like, mm -hmm. be like the flowers in the field, or the kingdom of heaven is at hand, mm -hmm. saying that, like, just be in the moment. And, like, within is, you. Yeah, it's within you. Mm -hmm. And then that lines up with like, the emerald tablets and, mm -hmm. like, the idea of other places and, mm -hmm. like, what physics will say as other dimensions and, like, all of that stuff. Like, we just don't have ways of explaining it right now, but that yeah. doesn't make it, doesn't you make know, it untrue. Right, or, and you can say woo-woo, mm -hmm. and then, then you put a blanket statement on it that makes nobody, well, everybody. I mean, you know. the earth being round was woo-woo at one point. Mm -hmm. To some, it still is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I mean, our perspectives change all the time. We're radically doing that now, for sure. Yeah, it's speeding up. It seems like it's at a catalyst. At a, at a monumental peak for, and I know people have been saying that for quite a while I would think that we're at this like shift and this peak but even if people have been saying that for 30 years 30 years is not a long time no no so like even if people are saying oh it's we're at this peak like a 30 year at the peak is not that big of a time over or expanse of time over the larger expanse you know so in our in my little monkey brain, yeah, thirty years. Like people saying, "Oh, we're at a peak for thirty years." They just keep saying it. Huh. We just keep saying we're at this weird calendar. Well, yeah, we are. We're in it all the time. I think, think two hundred years ago, like, what were we were doing, you know, like the beginning of the nineteen hundreds, we had yeah. a car. Now, you know, we put something on Mars. Yeah, you know, it's incredible. Yeah, we'll be living on Mars. <laughs> I won't be. No, no, I'm chilling. Yeah, I don't mean unless, unless it was out of necessity. Yeah, no. Unless we just completely degraded the planet or something. Yeah. But I mean, Mars is. Mars is a barren planet. But I think, we're, like, I think we'll be able to change that. And if we can change Mars into an oasis like this, can't we stop it from happening here? I feel like they're doing it out of order. Yeah. Well, they should fix this one first. Yeah. Well, maybe like, it's like an emergency. It's like Mars is a backup. It's like, yeah. let's try to fix this one, but let's build that one good over there, too, so then 
and go over there and not do that or something. I don't know. If we were working a little quicker to save this one, mm -hmm. I would think that was that was cool. Yeah. But like like we're actively cutting down the rainforest. Yeah, but and more like, and more people are finding out about for sure, that. For sure. And those guys are getting drugged through the jungle. Yeah, it's gonna change. Yeah. I mean whether whether I mean whether it's happened fast enough or not, I don't know. I'd like to be the hopeful optimist and say that it is these things are changing in just the right amount of time to where it's but I mean who's to say civilizations have been lost before. Yeah. So who's to say we're not just the next? Like this type of humanoid is completely lost amongst the sand and the water. The uh -huh. earth just eats it back and then something crawls out of that. Yeah. Something that could be well better off. Yeah. Well hopefully that our knowledge is able to be passed down to whatever is next or you know, like we're finding little nuggets of knowledge from past civilizations and mm. that kind of thing. I don't know. That's why I like time capsules. Yeah. Time capsules are cool to think like one day someone's gonna find this box of like, I don't know, whatever it is, a CD. Baseball cards. Or, yeah. Like, <laughs> I always think of some, like, three-fingered three alien coming by, and like, <laughs> a baseball card. Yeah, what the hell is this? Like, why is there, why did they put people on these cards? Like, it's like whenever, I think about Mount Rushmore, man. Someday, somebody's going to come across that. The people have never seen it. It's unknown. No one knows Mount Rushmore. It's going to get discovered, and they're going to be like, fuck is this powdered wigs these people wore powdered wigs yeah like why are these people carved into this mountain who are they like we look at the pyramid and the sphinx and we're like it's so mysterious about what it is and we've got fucking guys carved into a mountain it's like wearing glasses yeah what maybe on there? yeah it's so bizarre <laughs> so they're gonna come across that and think what the hell yeah that's strange i like the idea of um monuments being time capsules yeah like sure. Graham Hancock in a study with uh, Gobekli Tempe mm -hmm. in Turkey mm -hmm. I just uh, that the pyramid themselves are time capsules and yeah I forgot which one well he talks it. about the sphinx in it being a, a reference to time and I always found that fascinating because mm. he believes that the pyramids were built in a different time in which that were told way and, older yeah because if it were built in the time that scientists believe it would have been a monkey so it was like the time of the monkey and so he's saying that the, it was actually built in the time of the sphinx in the time of a cat like and, what, and he linked that to the astrological time of the sphinx do you remember how long ago that was no i don't remember the time i don't was remember it like, like 38,000 years ago i don't know i really have no clue i'm okay. that's when i suck with numbers man i can't remember dates or anything they just go in and out like well, it doesn't matter when it happens yeah. for some reason I don't know why no, I don't retain that but because it's, it's a lot of information yeah, you're constantly listening to podcasts and reading things yeah. And but yeah that's what I got out of it I thought that was really interesting and how he believes that yeah they did it through the astrological sign of the sphinx and he he was able to date the year based on which uh, what stars were in the sky because that's what the world would have looked like at that time because you're able to like retrace what the sky looked like from a certain point in time through the years and yes, the procession incredible. yeah the procession yeah yeah so that's dated wild. It much differently than the scientists have yeah they found some like water erosion on it too or something like mm -hmm. that that this something underneath that had so much water erosion that the only time that that area had seen that much rain was like thousands and huh. thousands of years before I, yeah they may i think this is the same thing that's wild yeah yeah i really uh was it robert shot that was on joe when it was that egyptologist oh yeah they i talked about something possibly being under the right hand of the sphinx i didn't get into that one i was half asleep on a plane when i started listening yeah. to it it's like it's, it's not the time yeah it's so dense. Yeah, yeah that's a morning coffee or yeah yeah, that's so. He's saying something's buried under the right arm of the Sphinx. It, I'm probably butchering it. Yeah, but that there's like historical evidence or stuff in writings or something that that suggests that there's something underneath the paw of the Sphinx. Mm. I don't know if he was referencing the Emerald Tablets then, mm. but 
this one translation of the Emerald Tablets that I was listening to um, talked about something underneath mm. that area. Like underneath, like if you like draw a line from somewhere in the pyramid going up to the top and then repeat that angle over there, you will find the doorway to the halls of Amenti or something. Like it was like real, um, like esoteric, yeah. like speech. I'm not really sure. Like it was all up to interpretation. And yeah. That was just this one translation of the Emerald Tablet. But I don't know if that might be where the Sphinx is. I don't know. Yeah. That was just like glazing over it. The more I looked into that, like it's. The Emerald Tablets are way more mysterious than I thought. Like, I just assumed they were somewhere, you know, like in the <laughs> museum. Like, they're, like, they're not even, the, like, the original ones aren't anywhere to be found. Yeah. And, so what, and like, the you... source of them are unknown. And it's kind of like the manuscripts of the New Testament that didn't pop up until 300 AD. Like, it's like you're relying on people's yes. other people's translations of this okay. pure form of the text. And it's, so it's unaware. It's like passed down almost. And it's, yeah, it's unknown where the original yes. is. Hmm. But it's been in writings and stories that yeah. it, it's been in other countries and like Sri Lanka. And I would think that that would change the, would change the content. That, hmm. Just because if you play the game telephone, right. you sit in a circle with a bunch of people and say a word or sentence. And by the time it gets back to you, it's a completely different sentence. And you do that for 300 years with yeah. a, a bunch of illiterate people. Yeah, you wonder what's being like missed or, or embellished. Embellished upon. or, yeah. So who's to say what's real and isn't? I, you really don't. You just can't know. That was one of the things I dug into with Christianity. And I found myself listening to the stuff about the Emerald Tablet and like without knowing the historicity <laughs> <laughs> of it first. Like I was like, getting enamored by it like kind of caught up in it like it like struck emotional chords like mm. you know things that i like resonated with and mm. things that interests that i had that had been piqued about egypt mm. and stuff and then uh and then i found out that it was the same thing as the new testament mm. and i was like i'm just foiled again <laughs> i'm just gullible, I'm just gullible. <laughs> so uh, well i mean it goes back to trying to separate the uh, emotion from the, the logic side of it like it's, it's cool to feel those like emotional trigger points. I think you can learn a lot from that. It's like, oh, you feel good about the way that this is information is presented. So it like makes you feel a certain way. So you take something from it or you look deeper into it like you did. Like, you know, so it's, it's, it's definitely a lot to be taken from the emotional side of it too. But yeah. you got to be careful because you can get caught up in emotions and then emotions can lead in, in, into dark territory. You know, for sure, you got to be careful with it. But I think we're seeing that very clearly now. Uh (laughs) Yeah, the emotions that are in it, the tribalism, and and we talked briefly about tribalism within sports. But what we're seeing now, the level of tribalism, yeah, the politically, Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, very tribal, and and maybe I don't think it's as. I mean, it is happening. I mean, I haven't really seen it on a first-hand personal basis i guess um the tribalism and the because all the people i talk to are like have these they don't label themselves as this one political point you know it's like uh someone was telling me the other day that they they were saying that they believed in this one thing and it sounded republican and they said they they believed in this other thing and it sounded like it was a democrat position and it's like well, yeah, because you can't just get lumped in with the Democrats. You can't get lumped in with the Republicans. Like, there's more. It's, it's not huh. this or that, which makes me laugh because now dangerous. I think about gender, male and female, Democrat, Republican. It's like there's a there's a non-binary. Yeah, there's a non-binary out there that we can all be a part of, and there's a I don't know <laughs> what the other ones are. So that'd be a cis centrist, cis centrist, yeah. Or, a, uh, yeah, sure. If you want to be, <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna go with. No, that's definitely different. I think I think that a lot of the people are just loud. Yeah. The angry people are just loud. They have a platform. They have a social media. The followers, whatever. They have a YouTube channel. They influence these companies. They bully these companies mm-hmm. essentially. From both sides, mm-hmm. to try to push their own agendas. Yeah, 
you know, but like the majority, the reason why you say we talk to people and like everybody seems like the same as us, is because the majority of people are silent about it. Mm. And like I think that's what possibly needs to change is that like I mean, if everybody you knew, you talk to that you know feel the same as you spoke up, mm-hmm. it would outweigh all the people right. being loud and angry for no reason. Yeah, yeah, that's a big thing. Being angry for no reason. No reason. The thing that they're angry about is so like like there are things to be angry about. Yeah, there are. There's much bigger issues to be angry about. Yeah, and like why don't you spend even a quarter of the energy complaining about those things? Uh-huh. Uh, this is what they believe, I yeah. guess, and they're passionate about it for I don't know what reasons. It could be just a false pretext of getting caught in, caught up in your emotions and like just wanting something to believe in and something to, it's kind of trendy or whatever it is. And so you get caught up in it. But yeah, I don't know. I feel really fortunate to have been from somewhere else. Yeah. And then end up out here in Portland. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's like if you, from the outside, you think Portland's this one thing and you get here and there's a, there's a, there's everything here. There's everything. Everything. And I, I think that like at the music festivals and those shows and, you know, like, the people that have been from it, they grew up in it, and they're amazing people. Mm-hmm. Like you see, like the openness and all this stuff. But I don't, I, I just don't feel that a lot of people like realize how special it is mm-hmm. to be able to be free to think right. the way that you do, and to be able to be going to these music festivals in the middle of a renaissance that we're going through right now. Yeah. You know, and like, and to be out here on the West Coast where things are being innovated, and you know, mm-hmm. psilocybin studies are going off in Oregon and legalization possible legalization 2020 and all this stuff going on and yeah it's definitely cutting edge for sure yeah so i think that a lot of the people who are just loud and angry about stuff that i feel like we can curve the energy a little bit towards something a little mm-hmm. more immediate yeah you know like where were all these people at standing rock mm-hmm. like during standing rock i know a lot of people came out for that like i wasn't there personally but i mean like as far as like the protests and the yeah the sharing of here, information yeah with it and like, just the loudness of it mm-hmm. the, the, the corporate response mm-hmm. like corporate corporate corporations respond to yeah I think I think that was a very successful piece of of the puzzle standing rock yeah me too yeah. It, was, like, it, it opened a lot of people's eyes to some some things that are going on and like we may not believe something changed but something changed with that oh yeah for sure you know even if it was just the attitude of some people which the more attitudes you can change and the more people that can get on board and then like the needle starts to shift slowly over time you know it just might be that was a battle in the war you know and like yeah you can say this side won or this side lost or whatever but there was definitely something to take away on the positive side of it for sure Absolutely. I mean, a lot of negative happened, clearly, but there's still something to take away. Like, you can't, you don't want to let that dampen your spirits on the greater path of, like, pursuing something that you believe in. Oh, for sure. Because, like, the elderly Native American woman getting sprayed in the face with the cannon, mm-hmm. water cannon, mm-hmm. and, like, the snow. Yeah. You know, like, she was praying for those police officers and, like, singing songs of praise <laughs> and, like... <laughs> Like, so like, like that's what I think. Like if like how can I be bummed about it if she wasn't bummed? Mm. You know, and like mm. she's a warrior. Mm-hmm. That's you a know, like she's like powerful. Yeah. And like I think that's what changed at Standing Rock and like just witnessing it from from Portland and being at those protests mm. and like just the, the, the different nature of the protests versus mm-hmm. like the inauguration day protests we were at. Like mm. that turned different. Mm. You know, and um in a more like negative way or well like the the police really cracked down on the inauguration one and like you know rubber bullets were shot and you know the people protesters were mistreated peaceful protesters and but the the general air at the standing rock stuff was about love mm. and like because that's what they were doing at standing rock right. they were it was different mm-hmm. there was no weapons there was no you know drugs i mean i'm sure there were drugs at the campsite but yeah. that wasn't it wasn't like a festival out there they right. were trying to love on the police mm-hmm. which is something I've like struggled with yeah. <laughs> really hard you know and, um, it, I think that's what changed mm. standing up yeah that's cool so it doesn't have to always be out of anger 
Yeah. Like anger is very important and like worth channeling and yeah, channeling in the yeah. right direction for sure. I think people like they don't appreciate anger. Mm-hmm. You know, like it is something like if you if you if you put it down too much, like it's going to come out. You have to like channel it into yeah. something, whether yeah. it's your art or your music or your mm-hmm. you know something or running mm-hmm. your health. You know. Yeah, I definitely channeled my anger into soccer. Yeah. Yeah, especially when I was younger, like I, even during games, man, I'd, get, I'd be so pissed off. I was like, I'd get mean, you know? <laughs> do, do stupid shit, yell at referees. And I was, I like, as I grew older, I'd have to learn how to like channel that en- en- that anger into like playing better. A long-ass train. Yeah. grew up by a train. You grew up by a train? Yeah, every time I hear one, it reminds me of something like that. Huh. It's nice. It's awesome. <clears throat> Whole country. We can hear everything right now. And you're, yeah, yeah, we're in the canned ham. Yeah, canned ham. I feel like I'm hear camping every night. Yeah. Yeah, crickets are nice. Hear your neighbors watching movies? <laughs> Probably pick up a little on that. <laughs> oh, man. I'm stoked you're doing this. Me too, man. It's been fun so far. It's been uh, episode two, I guess. Just learning audio and trying to figure it out. Going through technical difficulties in the middle of a recording. That that happens. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. (laughs) We recovered well. Yeah. Took a little (laughs) inspiration break. Yeah. Inspiration break. (laughs) Uh, Should have more of those. Oh man. <clears throat> well, I'll wrap this thing up. Yeah. Sounds that was good. cool. Yeah, man. Right, that was fun. Yeah, we'll yeah. do it again soon. Awesome. Sure. All right, everyone. Later. Are we live?